Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. the Deeply Discussing Podcast. I'm your host, Tail Maxfield. I'm joined this time by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hi. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing the documentary Dear Zachary. Uh, but first, as always, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Um, for myself, um, I've been binging my way through the Up series. Um, it's a documentary series that somebody recommended to me a long time ago, and I just found it on the BritBox subscription that you can get through Amazon Prime. Um, I'm trying to get like burn my way through it or binge my way through it uh, before my seven-day trial is up, so I'm not sure I want to keep a BritBox subscription on top of my Prime subscription, but um, it's a really interesting series. It's a documentary series that uh, interviews a bunch of seven-year-olds in 1964, and then every seven years, it re-interviews them again and sees where they're at in their lives. Uh, the most recent episode of it came out last year, and it was their, they were all 63 in that episode. So um, that one, the 63rd one, or the 63 up uh, movie is not on streaming yet, but 56 is. And so I've watched almost all of them. Uh, I've got two more episodes of the 56 up to go before I've completed it all. But it's, it's been very, uh, very interesting, very fascinating. Um, I finished off season seven of Ray Donovan. I thought it was fantastic. Um, Last time we recorded, I think we were talking about how Ray Donovan was canceled. Turns out um, they're supposedly uncanceling it at least long enough to give it a, a proper finale. Whether that's going to be a short series or a movie, um, they're not sure yet. But it, the fans were like, you're canceling what now? Um, I think that was just like a casualty of the CBS Viacom remerger that they were like, yeah, let's just throw this away. Like, no, we've already rented the space for the next season, and we wrote the next season as the final season, and don't do that. So, um, Is uh, Scott, Bu uh, Scott Buck involved in any of that at all? Or <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Uh, no. I, I think they're, they're doing good <laughs> stuff. I, really, I was really happy with season seven. I think um, the show is – it's really changed over the years from what it used to be, but um, – Season seven does a lot of work to build the background of the show. We're really finding out a lot about um, the childhood of the characters, and they're all you know brother and sister and stuff. So it's kind of an interesting thing to be finding out about. Uh, how about you guys? What have you been watching, Brooke? Anything interesting? Oh, I get to go this time. Okay. <laughs> Shut up, bro. <laughs> I wasn't left out this time. <laughs> uh, I, of course, TV junkie. I'm always behind on movies, but uh, I have caught up on all of High Fidelity with Zoe Kravitz. Um, the uh, reboot or reimagining of the John Cusack film. Uh, oh, is very that a interesting. show? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they um, made a yeah they made a series for Hulu uh, where Zoe that. Kravitz is playing the John Cusack character. So a nice little gender twist there. Um, it's it's good, it's good. Um, the Outsider on HBO is another one that I've been watching. Yep, me too. Uh, Forgot to talk so, about that one. Yeah, it's a little slow burn more than I thought. It's it's got some slow spots, but it's holding my attention. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the one I'm sure nobody else in this group is watching that I have discovered is Love is Blind on Netflix. And I'm just going to go sit in the corner because nobody's going to want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, The Outsider. Um, so I should have known when it said, you know, from the story by Stephen King that it was going to go supernatural. 
but I I loved the first two episodes that happened to be directed by Jason Bateman, and then I was like, oh, it's going supernatural, and I hate when stuff goes supernatural, but it's like, I do like Stephen King, so I've stuck around, and so far it's not, like, completely lost me. It's just been like, uh, this could have been so much more fun if they just kept it grounded, but whatever. So I, I know I, have, I agree with you. I haven't I started like it, it yet. But I want I want to get into it. Um, but how do you feel about the Stephen King averse that they're making? Uh, in terms of like, because I mean everything is connected. It is connected to Castle Rock, which is connected to Pet Cemetery, which is I'm sure connected to The Outsider. Uh, there's there's all these little subtle connections in each of these Stephen King properties. Is anybody else seeing that, or is anybody else like not on board with it? I think that's true. I like that. Yeah, there's always been an interconnecting theme for mm-hmm. most of them. I think there were maybe one or two that, and that might be, that's just kind of a guess. There were more than that now that I think about it. But yeah. most are in that universe and always have been. So I like that it's crossing into a lot of TV. We've got The Outsider. We have Castle Rock. We have so much that's interconnected. But I I was a fan way back. I mean, I read it for the Book It program through Pizza Hut when I was in sixth grade Mm -hmm. at Catholic school and got in trouble. Wow. So, so, you know, I've always been a fan. I got a lot of pizza. I got a lot of pizza out of that book. But yeah, so I've always been a fan of of that universe anyway. So I, it's kind of nostalgic for me when it all connects like that. So it's probably more of an emotional response as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, I mean is Dream it a stronger Catcher. connection? Is it a stronger connection than like the Pixar universe? Cause I've never noticed it. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's strong enough, but it's maybe a little subtler for most people. I, I think you've got to kind of be a real Stephen King head to like get it, but there's also a lot of um, uh, connections through just like um, the the scenery and the set and the grittiness and the way that the stories are being told. Um, you can see there's like connect, like for example, uh, not to spoil anything, but like it chapter two, there's a, a deep connection with um, Castle Rock season two, and it, it there's part of it that almost takes place in a similar spot. But but neither of the stories are necessarily connected, but the, but they do take place in the same situ like the same area. Well, I mean, yeah, all, it's the all Stephen Rock. King's all Stephen King stories take place in either Dairy Banger or uh, Castle Rock. So it, it's it's pretty much if you if you're familiar with Maine, then you can make a connection with any Stephen King story. Sure, and I mean you could you could make. I mean, a lot of his stuff is is comparative to the others right i mean like there's there's definitely ways to compare things like the shining it dreamcatcher like they all have the kind of the same like, like dreamcatcher and it in particular have the whole like they faced it as kids and then they face it as adults shtick going and it's for an it alien thing right yeah typically yeah. it's yeah. A, it's some kind of supernatural or extra natural thing you know, under the dome was like that. I mean, it's oh, it's his wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, Sa- Salem's Lot, and then Castle Rock season two is sort of a prequel for Misery. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the same character. She's just younger, the Kathy Bates character. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I season watched two of the Castle Rock season. is amazing. I just love the shit out of it. Maybe a little too supernatural for Dale, but man, I love supernatural. <laughs> Uh, so I thought it was I thought it was a perfect season. Honestly, I was it was it blew me away. Yeah, I just downloaded Doctor Sleep, and I'm planning to watch that soon. I read the book and I enjoyed it. Mm. So I thought Doctor Sleep was a fantastic movie. It's so it, it's at the same time a sequel to the book and a sequel to the movie. It's it's great. Cool. Um, okay. I'll uh, throw a couple things out there. Uh, like I've, uh, you know, I feel like finished Castle Rock two season two a while ago, but like currently, um, something I just finished watching is uh, How to Be a God in Central Florida uh, with Kirsten Dunst. Very good, just a very captivating from the first 
for the first episode all the way through. It takes place in the 90s, so it's a nostalgic piece. Um, it's about uh, pyramid schemes and, uh, and sort of that whole life and how it affects people. And man, it was just really well written, really well, well done. Um, I thought that was great. Um, and I'm a big Kirsten Dunst fan, as uh, I've told the story before about how I was delivering food to her uh, here in California, and she opened the door in a bathrobe, and I instantly thought that I was in a Kirsten Dunst movie. Um, she's super <laughs> sweet, uh, but like she's a great, great actor. Um, so that was really, really good. Where and then I that? went and saw Sonic. Uh, that's on it's, um, it's a Showtime. showtime. Uh, yeah. Also through Amazon, but on Showtime. Yeah. I yeah. watched that one as well. Yeah, she was probably her probably her best performance she was really good in that oh yeah it was solid and yeah. then i went and saw a sonic the hedgehog yesterday and oh, i yeah. really loved it i thought it was really good i mean i'm 100 percent glad that they redid his face because i will say from remembering what the old face looked like to the new face the new face is much more good to watch like it's it doesn't it's not as jarring um but like all in all in terms of like a movie it was fine it was good there was some funny moments i think there was some adult humor that goes over the kid's head which i appreciate um but also i played sega and sonic as a kid and i just love the nostalgia and i mean that's what they're banking on for most part uh and uh yeah and i saw a lot of people that i knew from uh, ucb in it as well so that was cool um, so yeah, it was great. Yeah, everything I've heard about it is that it's surprisingly less of a garbage fire than it than it could have been or or <laughs> probably should have been. Um, and the the only other thing is the controversy around what happened with the animation team, um, which was that they originally were going to release the movie I think in November last year, mm-hmm. and based yep. on the design change, it got pushed, and so it just came out in February. So the animators had to crunch and reanimate Sonic all the way through the movie. And as soon as they were done, they laid them all off and closed the company. Yeah. Wow. Something that's interesting uh, that kind of ties into this is the guy that designed the original Sonic for the movie that was later replaced. Um, They just remade the game Final Fantasy VII, and a couple of the summons have had their new new artwork released, and it has not been well received, and it come to find out it's the same guy that designed (laughs) Sonic for the movie. So I'm I'm feeling like this guy's never going to get a job again. It's just Rob Liefeld, (laughs) like under a pseudonym. How about you, Nathan? What have you been watching? Well, it's been kind of a short week, but um, I would say, I mean, I did watch a couple of episodes of McMillions. I'm only two episodes in. Mm. That's uh, the Monopoly uh, Mm. documentary on uh, HBO about uh, the Monopoly game at McDonald's. I cannot get enough Uh, of that show. I wish they had released it all at once. It makes me crazy. So so good. (laughs) So interesting. I'm watching that one too. It's awesome. Does it just like catch up with these people like now? No. It's a a whole scandal. (laughs) Is it only on HBO? Yeah, it's brand new and it's coming out like Sunday or Monday nights on HBO. Uh, So, so Aaron, you don't know anything about it, right? (laughs) I I have no idea. Oh, yeah. There's a Don't. podcast that goes along with it. If you haven't gotten into yeah, the podcast and you like the show, get into the podcast. There's some crazy stuff in there too. It's awesome. So is it is yeah. it a documentary or a sitcom? It's, it's a documentary, and it's basically is yeah, it's not a sitcom. It's um, basically the the premise is that the FBI figured out that the Monopoly game was fixed between like 1989 and 2001. And so they got on the case and they did this like sting to like try and figure out who was all involved and catch everybody. And the things they do in this sting and the things that people were like doing with the money and how they were like, it's all fascinating and Hmm. like stranger than fiction. Like, it's yeah. right up there. It seems with, like uh, a satire, and like, it's not. It's <laughs> like that, like that pain and gain movie. It's like that ridiculous, 
but it really <laughs> happened. It's like the white collar pain and gain. So I, I have still not seen pain and gain. God. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay's well. So work. aside from McMillions, uh, about the only thing I've really watched is a lot of trailers. Uh, uh, Alicia and I are planning to go to True Falls Film Festival in Columbia, Missouri, in about yep. a week and a half. And uh, Dale, you and I went several years back, and I think we enjoyed it. This will be probably my fourth or fifth time I've lost track at this point. I've got all the badges somewhere, so I guess I could kind of catch, you know, count those as like uh, dog tags, I guess. But um, it's a fantastic festival. They do a, a wonderful job curating. Um, but you have to kind of prep for it by watching some trailers and deciding what you want to see, which can be a little bit of a challenge because a lot of these docs, they're really new or really, really indie. And so there just isn't a trailer out there to watch. Yeah. In some cases there either isn't a trailer or they just literally have 30 seconds of a random scene from the movie. And that's the trailer. Yeah. So you kind of have to do a little bit of research to decide what you want your weekend to look like. Um, you try to kind of put all the fun ones you possibly can in there so that it doesn't turn into a weekend of watching nothing but movies uh, like ones that are going to be titled Welcome to Chechnya, which actually is one that is filming on this particular trip. Uh, so there's one called The Mole Agent. It looks like some sort of like foreign FBI agent fun story. I'm looking forward to that one. But it was it was a lot of heavy stuff that looked like this year. So I, I feel like there was only looking forward one to it. that we saw the year we went together that was just utterly dreadful. I don't remember which one that would have been. The one about the guy like w- walking in real time in Africa. You know what I'm talking about? Oh God. Uh, yeah, it sounds familiar. He, had, yeah. he, he was like on a bicycle, I think, at first, and then it broke, and then he's carrying the bicycle and whatever his load of like grain or whatever. And he just, like, it was like him walking in real time across Africa for three hours. Like, yeah. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't guess I remember that one specifically. I've seen so many docs at True, True Falls. I try to forget the, the bad ones because there are quite a few... There's just a few every year that just kind of stick out as like, eh, I'm not sure I wanted to spend my time on that. But, you know, the truth is the ones that are really good a lot of times are ones that surprise me that you would never guess based on the trailer that you saw or yeah. whatever. Uh, so, I mean, one of my favorites uh, from a couple years ago, I don't know if it was one the year you and I went, was uh, Brimstone and Glory or something like that. And it was all about this uh, Day of the Dead uh, festival that they were doing down in Mexico that involved fireworks where the whole town was basically risking its entire existence because it might blow up quite frankly, uh, to set up these giant fireworks. It was two days of it. And the cinematography alone was worth the price of admission. Cause you had all these great aerial shots from drones or whatever, of really just slow motion in some cases or just really beautiful shots of all these fireworks just going crazy and the smoke and the light and the people were excited and good music. It was just all fantastic to watch. And that was one I was not expecting anything of. So yeah, it's, I'm expecting I'll find a good one or two this year too. So we'll see how it goes. It's a good, I mean, it's, it's definitely an overlooked film festival and for, the majority of us who live within a couple hours drive of Columbia, Missouri, it's definitely worth taking a look at sometime in the future. Um, the only, I, I think the only downside to it is that um, it's a bit spread out. So you're going to be running from theater to theater and uh, the weather makes or breaks the festival. If the weather is cold and, and rainy, um, it's a pretty miserable experience. The year that we went, it was actually pretty nice. Um, yeah. It was just kind of cold at the end of the night, but that was it. But because it's, you know, late February, early March, it's kind of a crapshoot as to what the weather's going to be like in central Missouri. Well, the, <laughs> the first time I went was by far the worst. So the fact that I went back, it must have been pretty good. But um, it was ice storm, snowy, and 
10 below or something like that when I went. And I made the mistake of not getting a Lux Pass. There's, there's different mm. levels of passes you, you can buy. And the Lux Pass allows you to get tickets to every time slot there is before you even go. So you can set a schedule and not have to worry about it. But the pass that we got the first year, not knowing any better, uh, forced you to stand in line outside yeah. a couple of times in order to see most of the movies that we saw. So we, it, it's a wonder we didn't just wind up at the end like, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson and The Shining or something, because we were outside so long that first year, and it yeah. was just frigid, brutal. But it's a great festival. I think it's supposed to be like within the top four or five documentary exclusive film festivals in the world. So oh, it's definitely. kind of strange. Yeah, it's kind of strange that it's right here in Missouri, but that's that's where it is. I, I think it's, it's probably the, the top the top one in North America. I I believe that. I believe that. They've they've just the whole town just kind of gets in on it. They've been doing it for about twenty years, I believe. Um, one of the key things I think that makes it so awesome is they really do bring in quite a few of the filmmakers for this. Everything's curated great, but you're also getting the filmmaker experience. I've been trying to explain that to Alicia that just because something might be going straight to Netflix or you know Amazon Prime or something afterwards, it's a different experience when you're sitting in that theater with that entire group of people that is excited to see it, and then the filmmaker gets to kind of introduce it and talk about it. So it's it's pretty memorable stuff. Absolutely. That's me. So... Uh, I haven't been watching much lately. Um, okay, so um, Brooke's selection was... <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I've been watching uh, lately and... is uh, The Pharmacist on Netflix. I uh, little... don't know anything about it. It's a four-episode documentary about this uh, this kid that down in New Orleans he gets killed in a drug deal gone wrong and his his dad becomes so obsessed with finding out who did it it actually ends up cracking a, a much larger case on the federal level and it's pretty interesting it's about um, doctors over prescribing oxy mm. so, if, you, if you haven't watched it give it a shot uh, it's only four episodes, I think. So. And that's on... on it is on Netflix. 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 Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I started yeah. it actually yesterday, so it's funny you bring it up, but I only made it about five minutes because I just wasn't focused enough, and I can tell it's one I really want to be paying attention to. So yeah. it looks good. Yeah, the, the first episode is, is kind of hard to get into, um, but the last like 10 minutes of that first episode hook you and then you just next thing you know you're in the fourth episode i can watch i can watch those i can burn through i mean there's like a thousand there's literally a thousand and eight minutes of the up series and i've watched like all but 150 of them so (laughs) (laughs) just just leave the last like 10 minutes unwatched so you, you no, never I got to burn happened. through my uh, trial subscription because <laughs> I don't think I want BritBox for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, um, so our movie uh, for discussion, the suggestion from Brooke for this week was uh, Dear Zachary. It is available on Amazon Prime. Um, that's how I watched it originally. I had seen the movie before. I think most of us have. Uh, Nathan, had you seen it before? Actually, the verdict was yes, I had seen it before. Okay. I had completely forgotten about it. In fact, I, I had no clue where it was going until about three quarters of the way, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I forgot a bunch of it, too. Um, I mean, it's just it's been out for like 12 years now, uh, but I had definitely seen it before. Zach, you had not seen it before, right? Nope, this is the first viewing for me. Okay, so let's start with you. What did you think of it? I, at first, um, I was a little bothered by the editing. Yes. I, yeah. Yep. I, <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> I think overall the story is so sad and tragic. And, and I felt like 
I don't know. And I mean, nothing against the filmmaker. You know, he's a little more on the amateur side, of course. Um, but yeah, the editing at first kind of threw me off. And I actually kind of became a little disinterested about halfway through. Um, and it wasn't until more stuff started picking up with Zachary that I got a little bit more invested. And by the end, I was, you know, I was definitely uh, tearing up and whatnot. And uh, it was very sad. Um, so, like, I enjoyed it f- for the sake of the, what they were trying to get across in the story they were telling. And um, I mean, I didn't enjoy that I had to that that story had to happen. Obviously, it's very tragic. But um, yeah, I think it, it, sometimes it can almost uh, change the way you view something in terms of a documentary with how you edit it and and how you put it together and the story that's being told. I thought it was a little disjointed at times. Um, and so, you know, that that aside, the technicality of stuff aside, um, I'm, I'm glad it's a story that was told because of the meaning behind it. Yeah, I think the first time I watched it, I was sort of, I was just kind of hungry for true crime documentaries in general. I think I was kind of watching a bunch of them um, when I when I got to that one. It was like, I think I remember watching that and there's something wrong with Aunt Diane around the same time. Um, and it didn't, at least I didn't remember how, um, abrasive, especially the first like five minutes of the movie are, how just edited to shit it is. Um, and how, and then how ADD (laughs) the rest of it is where it just like bounces back and forth between like three different topics and timelines. Um, but it's, uh, you know, uh, this this second time watching through it, it was like, man, this like they really told this story in a strange way. Um, but I think it's effective because of just because of what they don't tell you about, and I think they're trying to like not let you catch up enough to th- figure out the second gut punch, the the you know the fact that there's no one for this film to be for really. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think to that, to the degree that that still works and that's still something that uh, you don't guess early sort of, no, not sort of justifies what's going on with, with the way they're doing the storytelling. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, especially those first five minutes, it's just like, Calm the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't know who the people were. I, obviously, they were all meaningful people uh, throughout these other people's lives. But like in a documentary, I feel like you've got to really establish why you're interviewing these people, well, and what their purpose is. You know, like. Well, yeah. that's kind of the point. This didn't start as a documentary. This started as a home video for the kid. Right. And it became something else entirely as it went along. That's why there are certain parts that are l- lower res than others. Oh, most of the movie yeah, is shot on on like, like a, camcorder. a DV camcorder. Yeah, yeah. And and so it, like I thought that the way the movie w- played out was definitely to drive home the emotional punch. Um, the first time I watched this, it was brutal enough, but, you know, recent events in my life made it even harder this time around. Um, but I, I will watch anything true crime and, and this one is one of the harder ones for me to watch. Yeah, it just, I mean, I guess... I'm very clinical when it comes to true crime stuff. I don't tend to get emotional about those sorts of things. Um, I was a little bit more emotionally engaged this time around seeing it because I wasn't, I didn't have my detective hat on. I wasn't like trying to figure out who did what and you know, what it all meant as much. Cause I knew pretty much what was going on. So it was a little bit more, affecting in that in that regard for me this time around i think for me it's it's it 
falls into that category of documentaries that are better just because the the director stumbled onto something that he sure. wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, I felt like if it was good, which I think there were some positive things about it for sure. It certainly has an emotional punch and you can't help but be kind of shocked by it a little bit. But if it works, it's mostly in spite of the the director's skill at pulling the thing together because it's it's really the production value alone is really rough, but the editing is crazy. I, I kind of look <laughs> at this one and I, I want to compare it a little bit to like uh, another one where someone kind of stumbled onto some some interesting story, which was Three Identical Strangers. Um, I mean, Don't that's a pretty. That. It's it's a, it's a great documentary, but you can tell that that's a filmmaker doing what he loves to do in that one where the story is just so well edited. There's not a, there's not a rough spot really in that documentary. If I remember. No. And Um, I was going to actually bring that up as well. Um, that that's a, that's, that's an example of this kind of story being just expertly told. Um, right. And I looked it up. That one's on Hulu for people that are interested in seeing it. Which one was that? Was that the three identical strangers? the, The, the twins that were separated the, at birth. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I've seen that one. I mean, I, it didn't help at all that this documentary, the documentarian himself who chose to do his own voiceover work has zero charm. Um, <laughs> it's. I mean, he's... he's. I, in fact, when he came on the first time, I was like, is that an intended voiceover? Did someone leave a TV on in the other room? Because the, the sound <laughs> quality is all goofy. And then he is just monotone and boring until he gets to these points where he kind of chokes up a little bit for understandable reasons. But I just, it was a struggle to really get through it this time. I, I did remember what I, it was, it was so forgetful from the first time I watched it that I had completely forgotten whether or not I had seen it before. And then even when I was halfway through it, I could remember I was, I had seen part of it, but I couldn't remember if I'd sat through the whole thing. Yeah, it makes so. me wonder if they if he originally had a like 3-hour version of this and the distributor said no fucking way until it's an hour and a half. And so yeah. he just sliced and diced it to to shit until it was 90 minutes long. I mean, there's no reason it had to be 90 minutes except that I'm sure they wanted it distributed theatrically and it needed to be, you know, it needed to work that way. It wasn't, they, they just, you know, it was just a missed opportunity, I think, to have made it into a movie versus making it into something a little bit more, you know, if they had, if they had done a, you know, three one hour episodes, I think it would have been a much better project. They, they would have been able to let things breathe a little bit more. Um, and even though like, you know, he stumbles into this and he's got all these, all these, uh, DV tapes and you know you're watching everything uh all the lines blur because it's all recorded in 480i and amazon's like freaking out about it and trying to figure out how to digitally show it to you um you know despite the fact of how it was shot um it still could be edited in such a way that it's more compelling to watch I I just felt okay. like I couldn't like they they just didn't trust me to uh they, they didn't trust me that I would I would it would hold my attention so they just had to keep flashing something else up there's like a guy there's there's a point in the movie where a guy starts talking and then the director narrator says but hold on a second. You have to know what happened first, what really happened first. (laughs) And they show like pictures of the death certificate and the coroner's report. He's like, okay, the the guy was murdered and shot a bunch of times. They don't tell you who did it. They don't like, they don't like, they don't tell you stuff. And it's like, well, no, you're not showing us this. You're not doing this. You're, you're splashing more details on this. You're splashing more details across us because that makes it more exciting than listening to these guys talk about how great of a guy this guy was before you go into how he ended up getting killed. 
And that's what the first five minutes are like, too. It's like, you know, this guy was a really great guy. He's dead. This guy was a really great guy. I got the call. Then he got the call. Yeah, somebody called me. Then I got the call. Then I got the call. It's like, okay, tell your story, man. Just settle down. It's going to be okay. People decided to watch this. Um. <laughs> Brooke, this was your pick. Why did, what did you think about it this time around? Well, I actually, it's a movie I recommend to people a lot. I always say it's a good movie I'll never watch more than once. I'd actually seen it just once um, before I watched it again yesterday. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny because obviously on a reviewing, you see it kind of differently. I always remembered, of course, the big twist. And that's why I've always recommended it and said it's worth watching. Because, I don't know, I, I like something that can shock me and surprise me and have that emotional punch which we keep referencing i think we've all said that that term um so that's always stuck with me um but you know at at the end of the day it's not a story that is any different than what you see on dateline or 48 hours it's it's the same as all of those stories when it comes down to it and there's nothing particularly groundbreaking or even even strong in many ways in the technical sense of filmmaking um but I just, I, I really thought the emotional heft of it is something that has always made it stick with me that I always think, you know, uh, somebody's like, what's a, a good documentary you'd recommend? I think of it just because I remember the visceral emotional reaction that I had with that twist. Uh, I agree that Kurt, the filmmaker, he's a little bit off-putting. The editing is, is terrible. I agree with that. Um, and it so and it didn't really have to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think he's just I and I didn't actually even look to see if he's done anything else. I ju- it just felt very amateur, which we've all used, you know, is this something he even really knew what he was doing or was this just such a um important thing for him that he couldn't even put that in there, which I don't know, you know, a lot of good filmmakers do emotional stories they're attached to, but um, you know, it can be so polarizing when a documentary filmmaker puts themselves too much in the story. This mm. one, it really fit and it made sense. And I, I think his flaws in the filmmaking aspect kind of fit with what the, with the feel of the movie to me. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't necessarily, you know, I do I think it was great filmmaking? I'm a documentary person. They're my favorite. I love documentaries. That's my that's my favorite genre. Um, do I think it is an epic piece of filmmaking? Of course not. But it's it's really hard to hit those emotional notes and make them feel real and true. And to do you know like the interviews with um, with Andrew's parents with Kate and David and get that really real raw emotion that they have in those interviews. It always seems canned. Yeah. In in those kind of things, it doesn't at all because this is somebody who they know and they trust and you're seeing real, true, pure grief that isn't being filtered for the camera or people aren't holding back. And I, I just think the emotional aspect of this and, and then, of course, you know, I'm crying at the end when it becomes a love letter to them because I, yeah. I fall for those emotional things like that all the time. But, you know, I think that the emotional side of it is what has made this stick out to me is as a strong film. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I think the, the section where, um, where Andrew's father just starts yelling at the camera is really affecting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, his wife is just breaking down and you really, it comes completely out of nowhere. It just, his rage just boils over and he's like, see, to me that actually undercut the, the emotion at the end to me. Like I, I was kind of looking at that as, well, he's a very stressed out. I, I just can't imagine like if I was his kid growing up and I forgot my homework or something like that, or I, you know, broke a window in the house. It, it, he just came across as a really angry person to me. Oh, and I didn't so get that when at they all. Come back, no, oh. I didn't. I, I mean, I feel like that visceral anger because he's being forced to talk about this person who has destroyed everything that he loves it's such i mean i i can't imagine that even the most mild person would rage out i mean you know because there he is calmly talking about how he felt like he could kill her you know i i thought about killing her and he's you don't get the feel at least i don't get the feel he is somebody who would ever entertain that thought but you know 
the anger you would have to feel this person ended your son's life and then you had to face her every day and try to be nice to her and she's dangling your grandchild over you like a carrot and then she turns around and kills your grandchild i just that's well and the part that's a rage that the part where he flips out is when um he's the the wife is crying about not going with the son between the funeral home and the crematorium. That's what she's upset about in that particular moment. And he just starts raging about how, you know, this is what she did. This is what she did to, you know, this. Well, it was the whole speech he made about, I almost, you know, committed a crime and stole the kid and, and, you know, it it was pretty brutal talk, and I, I. Why wouldn't having you experienced think that? adults that were pretty angry like that uh, when I was growing up? It just didn't sit well with me when I watched it. So I I kind of felt like like five minutes later when they get to the point where they're like, oh yeah, they were such great parents. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, this film needs to be dedicated to them. I had a hard time with that. Okay. It's very likely I would have the same reaction if someone had hurt my kids. I can't imagine. I probably would be able to imagine <laughs> the same thing. I just, I don't know. I thought everything I he said was imagine. logical and justified. And I, I feel <laughs> like, if anything, he held back for most of the movie. I pointed that, that scene out as an example of, you know, them capturing something that you wouldn't, naturally capture in in an interview like how many hours did they interview that guy and that's the one time he's yelling and screaming about it and talking about you know yeah i mean even even when he's talking to the press about how canada's law system have failed them he was calm and collected and yeah i mean i can't imagine going through what he's gone through and not killing somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. And it felt too like, um, to me, like a him being protective of his wife too. He's angry because he can't even protect her anymore and he can't help her anymore because so much destruction is done. This is what you've done. This woman is a shell of herself. I can't do anything to help the one person I have left. Yeah. I mean, that just, well, and I think it's telling that, that she doesn't, she doesn't even react to him yelling. Like she's still just sobbing away. Um, she doesn't even react to that. Like it's, you know, none of that's a surprise to her that he feels that way, but she can't handle it. And that's where it's at. Um, the movie, you know, understandably uh, paints the, Canadian legal system as as being this unjust, messed up bureaucracy. And I think in this particular case, it makes sense. I don't know that it's necessarily like <laughs> that much worse than anywhere else. Um, I think this was just sort of a uh, situation that, that went way, way wrong and shouldn't have. But... Um, and it's like, how much can you really say in 95 minutes? And uh, the whole thing leads up to, you know, the credits are started with two different uh, two different screens of things you can donate to at DearZachary.com. So it's like, okay, we're going to change Canadian Parliament so this... Very specific injustice doesn't happen again. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, and I do think yeah. that's part of the frustration, too, is you realize this is a universal problem. It's not just Canada. It's not just here. It's a universal issue that there really is nothing you can do about it. Well, there's lots of countries that will, uh, you know, if you're a citizen, like she, uh, the murderer, was a citizen of Canada, Right, um, and you return there after committing a crime abroad. They have a policy of not extraditing to the U.S. Um, a lot of countries do it because the U.S. has the death penalty, 
and they they don't agree with that so they won't extradite uh criminals into the u.s justice system because of the possibility of the death penalty and there's been lots of cases where you know people have done horrible things in the u.s and they cannot get them extradited uh you know even with really strongly worded promises that the worst punishment imposed will be a life sentence they still can't quite negotiate it diplomatically so uh, something that to note, and I think this is, I'm not advocating for the woman uh, at all, but there's something to note, especially when you do documentaries, is that documentaries tend to usually be one-sided. Uh, they usually come, and even if it's a it's an accident that he stumbled upon this story, this was a focused perspective, a focused story, um, and I think it's clear as day that she killed Andrew, and she, clear as day she killed the baby. Zachary. Um, but we never hear from anyone from her family. We never hear from her lawyers or anybody involved. Uh, you know, uh, Kurt tried to get a hold of the people that were involved with the case and they refused to um, say One anything. One of her sons is in the movie. Yes, briefly. You know, and he's but sad. Again, and he didn't even know. Yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere that he should exactly. have a son. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't get anything from the ex-husbands. We don't get anything from this supposed boyfriend who was being framed for the murder of Zachary and her. I mean, again, it's a lot of smash editing and, and just hard cutting to a lot of stuff and a, a very specific point of view is being told and I'm not advocating the fact that she's not maybe a horrible person and did all these things. It's just that we have to remember that when we're watching documentaries is that you know, usually the people making the documentary are making it for a purpose. And Kurt's purpose was very clear to me um, by especially not including a lot of information about her uh, and, and, and anything from her past or in between when all of these events occurred. Yeah, I mean, I in, totally in, agree. In a way, that's a good thing um, that, you know, I think giving her any more attention in the movie would have... Um, would have given her some infamy, which I think is, would be a negative outcome from the movie um, for people to concentrate on her as this evil monster, um, as opposed to the results of what she did. Um, But to me, I mean, it seemed fairly clear that she was mentally ill um, and, you know, that whole like hypersexual, um, dating people that weren't necessarily age appropriate, um, having abandoned her other children to live with their father, all of that kind of stuff. You know, she seemed like a pretty, uh, pretty messed up person. Yeah, but then when we see footage of her, does she though? I mean, listen to all the voicemails and the voice calls. Look at her playing with the baby. I mean. I agree. She psychologically was was very ill, but like, what? What was the thing? What did she have? Was she bipolar? Did she have multiple personality? Uh, I mean, what was the thing that was driving that? Because you watch her play with her son, and and she like the and Zachary picks the grandma over her, and she laughs about it, and then you're like, well, you know, okay, is that a defense mechanism? Is that a disguise? My my point being is that. It, if you don't go in deeper about the subjects, you might not get as much clarity. And again, he maybe did have three hours of that and we just never saw it. But I just think in the cut that we got, um, not to even make her out as infamous, we just might have needed a little more of what was going on with all of that as opposed to just the focus of Andrew and Zachary and the well, grandparents. I mean, and, and clearly her her therapist was not qualified to help her (laughs) right exactly well i have two thoughts on that point really i have um the one is um uh, you know with the point of the story being how personal it was to kurt i think i don't think it could have been brought in that way really i think and i think it would have changed the perspective of the film and what what it really was about if they did that and also i think if you brought in her side and her people then it really becomes like a dateline yeah. Because it's not just about this love letter to Zachary and Andrew and then this family, because then it becomes 
you know, we are doing just a straight true crime story instead of a story about the emotional impact that it's had on all of these people. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, you know, beyond the infamy thing and the, you know, um, there's sort the whole idea of let's not focus on and fetishize killers. You know, let's talk about victims and outcomes and how we can how we can make things better. Um, but there's also the whole side of like how do you even try to portray her side of the story? Like she's all on her own. Nobody's going to be interviewing. No one will have interviewed her. She's dead. She obviously killed these two people and killed herself. You know, what's her side of the story that isn't being explored? I think, you know, visually, you know, you were talking about how she, she looks all happy in the videos and, and what you actually see is not, I, I think that's actually really indicative of what mental illness looks like a lot of the time. Oh yeah, absolutely. See what's going on. I mm-hmm. think the, the missed opportunity and I don't think it, the film had to go 20, 30 minutes into it. I think if they just even addressed it by saying, look, this is what a mental illness looks like. This is what can cause this situation. If she had had, you know, instead of poking just trouble at the justice department, like I, I'm just as qualified to talk about her after watching this movie as anybody else, right? No, I would say a psychiatrist would be a good. But, but what's a psychiatrist? <laughs> what's a psychiatrist going to get from the footage of the movie? And look at it and no, say this person I, has. I think there's a lot more to be seen than just the footage. There's her phone calls. There's and what she obviously did. I think at the very least, someone could say, look. This fits the profile of what mental illness can do. And if the court had addressed the mental illness half of this situation, not so much the um, whether or not she could get out on bail, but if they had better laws and rules around how to handle mental, mental illness in any country, we're all kind of behind the curve on that. Yeah. And I think that could have been more meaningful, honestly, than this obscure law about bail. Well, I mean, they they did talk about the fact that she suffered from mental illness because there was a whole section with her psychiatrist about how he was, even with all of the evidence of everything that she's done, clearly, he was like, oh, no, she's she's not a danger. She's fine. She's she's not suffering from anything. She's she's great. Well, he posted 65,000 bail. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The psychiatrist didn't say that. That was one of the judges in Canada yeah, that said that. That's yeah. right. It was the, yeah. uh, uh, like the family services or whatever. Um, but didn't they say that was based off of the psychiatrist looking at her and talking about her? I don't remember for sure. Yeah. I don't. But I, you know, as far as like a psychological diagnosis, to me, Having you know, knowing people with various different disorders, she, she to me looked a lot like she had by uh, not by um, uh, borderline personality disorder, which manifests as um, it, it's sort it's sort of similar to bipolarity where you're they go through mania and they go through depression, but they have this thing where they latch on to a person. And that person's their whole world, and they focus all their attention on that person, and that person can't possibly live up to that. And they get madder and madder and madder, and then that person gets driven away, but they can't leave them alone. They have to keep going after that person, and then eventually they latch onto someone else, and that same intensity starts up again. Um, and they can look for all the world like the most wonderful person when they're in the most wonderful person mood. Um, they can put on a show. They they have the 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 sense of mind to do that. But you know, when uh, when someone pisses them off, when someone breaks up with them, that's like the worst thing you can do to a a person with borderline personality is to say, "You and I are done." You know, I think, you know, the five of us are watching this movie today. We've got a little bit more knowledge about, you know, 
mental illness than maybe most people did back at that point, even 20 years ago. Um, and I think we could all see those things and we're talking about them, but I think the, the thing that was missing from the film was the tone of the film, at least at the time, the way it was made, didn't give you that chance to have a second perspective on the whole thing. And I, I think that's the point that we're kind of getting at. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can also say it was just like, evil. <laughs> well, and you can also like, you know, it, as far as like evil people go, um, it's really immature uh, and juvenile to like some of the times that they like showed photos of her. It was like the worst photo of her they could find, like just like uh, I know making that. weird faces and stuff. And then the other thing that they did is really immature and, and ridiculous was what you're going to say. They would have the like picture talk. <laughs> it was the Bob Dole yep. Dole Dole thing from yeah. Conan O'Brien. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? It's me. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Bob Dolly Dolly Dole. We don't see any problem with releasing this woman. That's what we're gonna do. Okie do. Yeah, that was jarring and weird. That that yeah, definitely. It it felt, I think we can it, all agree on, on my that. sheet. I have a note on my sheet. It says Bob Dolly Dole question mark. <laughs> Yes. I'm Bob Dole, and I approve this documentary. <laughs> That's more Reagan, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't very Bob Dole, but a good, good try. They sound the same. Bob Dole and Reagan sound the same. Bob, Bob Dole is going to take this on. Bob Dole is going to Bob Dole's going to make you make you pay. Bob Dole is going to change the law. Or if it's Bill Kenton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta love Conan O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those were uh, Robert Smigel doing Smigel, the voices. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, it is a flawed documentary. Uh, I do think it's. I I certainly appreciated it the first time that I watched it. Um, the second time, the flaws were just. I, the, the the flaws were just manifest, I guess, this time watching it through it. Um, and especially after like that first five minutes where I'm just like, guys, come come on. Like, st- can we skip to where this stops? Where they just like actually start the story? Can we do that? Um, <laughs> as far as like examples of, of, you know, we talked about Three Identical Strangers. I think that's a, that's a really good... Um, sort of you know twist and turn true crime movie um comparatively to this uh and as far as like extending it and making it into a series i think the the best example would be something like the jinx where the end of every episode you're like what the fuck and then they have a whole new you know can of worms that they've opened up for the next episode um, which is kind of how McMillions is too. Yeah. Not not it's uh, not another quite as off the chain as as uh the Jinx was, but it's still pretty pretty insane so far. Um, another film that I kind of to the question of, you know, what is similar in tone or what does it remind you of? The Imposter. Um, just in kind mm. of the twist and the unexpected. I don't know if anybody's seen that one, but that one's in the same kind of vain as far as that goes well i think a lot of documentaries nowadays are really being made into the episodic format which i feel like is definitely benefiting how they're putting them together um you know and making them more of like a series uh so to speak um so i guess for me the relatable ones would be something like um the staircase yeah. Um, even though it doesn't necessarily deal with the quite the same, um, it still is a true crime and and very. That one's just such a ha- mystery. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still. I still think it was an owl. Um, I do too. And, <laughs> I really I do. Like I like the owl theory. <laughs> owl theory is my number one. I gotta go with it. Um, and then also, Evil Genius. 
um, because of the manipulation of the of the woman and the way that she was trying to manipulate multiple people a lot of the times and set people up and doing things like that. I mean, you know, it, it, maybe it is crazy to think about people who do get these ideas who, that they can execute them. You know, they are kind of an evil genius in a sense, um, and and they follow through with it, and people are hurt by it, and there's people that are left in the wake of that hurt, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I, I was trying to remember if this uh, Dear Zachary was the same story about... I think it's different. There's There was another story that was in the news at one point about a woman that drove like 18 hours straight with a diaper on to murder some... Oh, the astronaut lady. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's right. Yes, that's yeah. it. Yep. Um, but I was also thinking about uh, uh, that recent... The... the, the <laughs> The, the recent documentary that everyone has been uh, Facebooking about, which is Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah, I thought about mm-hmm. that, too. Um, yeah. And that one, like, you know, <laughs> I, I get what people like about that one. Um, it has lots and lots of problems, too. Um, and I, <laughs> that's one where I got about halfway through the movie, and I was like, wait, are they talking about this guy? And yeah, they were talking about that guy. I'd seen another true crime show about the guy committing the murder. It just didn't like focus on the cats for two hours first. (laughs) It like went straight to the, like he's a psycho and he murdered a guy. um, Part of it instead of a group of Facebook sleuths. were looking after these, this guy that, Posted bad videos about cats. <laughs> Look, you can you can yeah. kill a thousand people. Just don't mess with the cat or the dog. I mean, that's oh, the point man. of the documentary. <laughs> is don't fuck with don't fuck with cats. Well, Hence it, it, it is, but at the at the end, and I mean, I, this is a spoiler if anybody hasn't seen it. But there's a the last scene is the woman like basically shaming everyone who just watched this documentary, which being is one like, of the you, biggest problems. You're with the it. problem. Yeah, <laughs> you're and I was the problem. Like, and then he. Immediately after that, I went and researched Luca Magnata as much as I could. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I am the problem. <laughs> after all, after everything that she did, you're the problem. Yeah. Okay. Body moving. Body, body moving. <laughs> it's a, there's, there's an old documentary, but it's, it's got a twist of the same vein, I guess, as uh, as Thin Blue. Uh, sorry, as Dear Zachary, and it's called Thin Blue Line. Um, if you've yeah, never I saw seen that, that a long one, time ago, that's a great mm-hmm. documentary. Yeah, that's Errol Morris, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Body Moving is is from this song by the Beastie Boys called Body Moving. <laughs> this is this has been deep body moving. On music through the night. <laughs> uh, right, that's where I was going. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's worth watching once. Yeah, through a tragedy of some sort with a family member in a certain capacity. I I don't know. I think you know, like anybody could watch this and and feel remorse and feel sad. And I was thinking, I was like, after I finished, I was like, I think my mom not necessarily wouldn't enjoy it because it's so sad, but I was like, she would be interested in this story. You know, my mom is a compassionate person. She's someone who puts herself out there for other people. Uh, she's a caretaker and a giver, and so I think she would really, re- she would really connect and relate to this story. Yeah, and you, like Brooke, would like to, you know, foist this onto other people. <laughs> yeah, make other people <laughs> sad. And- yeah. I just thought we were due for a good feel-good movie, so this is what I went with. I didn't need help with this, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't think I would. I didn't think I would be the one one picking. I wasn't prepared. I'm sorry. It's, it's awfully. Uh, I mean, it's really well rated. You know, yeah. a lot of people really liked it at the time that it came out, and I, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's bad. It, it is. It is a good interesting true crime movie but man it's got its it's got its issues just not a well-made one yeah i think it's flawed is a good way because in essence 
everyone is flawed. Everything can pretty much be flawed. It's definitely not bad, but it definitely has its flaws. Um, so, you know, take it with with the you can take it with a couple of tissues. <laughs> yeah, and maybe you know, slow it down a little bit in the beginning, or yeah, <laughs> play or, it at like point seven five speed. <laughs> yeah, 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 or just don't watch the first five minutes, literally. Like you'll you'll, you'll still, get the you'd point. Still get the message. Yeah, <laughs> they'll still stop in the middle of the story to tell you what happened. So, yeah. but first, <laughs> um, well, this is the time when we do uh, suggestions for next time. Uh, Nathan, it's your turn to suggest a movie. So, what is what would you like us to watch next? Uh, I would love for us to pick it up with some comedy. Even if it's a really dark comedy, I would love for us to watch The Art of Self-Defense. Um, mm-hmm. I, I saw this in the theater. Um, it kind of caught me off guard as being way better than I was expecting it to be. And uh, I've been looking forward to watching it again, so I'm going to foist it on you guys. I haven't seen that one. I haven't either. It is messed up. It is so messed <laughs> up. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, I'm in. I was like, I don't know what's happening Sold. in this movie. Uh, I've seen the it's, trailer for it. I'm looking at it on IMDb. Awesome. Yeah, I've seen the trailer for it. I was I was interested in it. It's got a very lobstery type tone to it. It's got it, there's something about it's just a little off on how it delivers all its dialogue and everything, but it's kind of great for it. So it's on Hulu for subscribers as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, the lobster, that that oh. crowd ple- crowd pleaser. <laughs> um, it pleased my crowd. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. Uh, thanks for chatting, and thanks for <laughs> listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.